You're listening to the Spitalfields Festival podcast, a thoroughly good podcast made for Spitalfields music. The Spitalfields Festival runs from the 1st to the 11th of July, 2021. Tickets via spitalfieldsmusic.org.uk. Follow at Spitz Music on Twitter. Follow Spitalfields Music on Instagram. In the penultimate episode of the Spitalfields Festival 2021 podcast series, I speak to composer, radio producer and audio artist Charles Armikanian. Charles has composed a new work for the Spitalfields Festival, a work called Ratchet, Attach It, to be performed by British composer and percussionist Dominic Merkett and a team of percussionists from Trinity Laban Conservatoire on the 7th of July 2021. If you've not heard of Charles or his work before, then you'll benefit from a primer. The next minute or so should give you a sense of what motivates him creatively. You've never dropped acid, have you? <laughs> oh, no, I haven't, no. <laughs> <laughs> but because the entire movement of minimalism was grew out of the drug experience and and also the fascination with Indian classical music and Eastern forms that were inherently anti-Beethoven. There's a tendency in Western art to want to do something different. And uh, by now, almost everything that I can imagine sonically has been done by people who go to extremes, uh, sometimes not very well, but they'll do something extremely loud or extremely uh, boring. Uh, And the idea is to distinguish oneself as an artist. Um, but I think the trick is to do it in a way that makes, uh, makes everybody sit up and listen and enjoy the, the craft of what goes into making a, a repetitive piece interesting. I, I, I like to do things that are a little bit odd, and um, that's why I founded an organization called Other Minds, which is devoted to eccentric composers like Nan Caro, George Antile, um, Ivan Vishnagrodsky, the quarter-tone composer. We've done concerts of music by people from all over the world in San Francisco here, and we have an archive online of a lot of the sounds that we've uh, documented. Armakarnian's Ratchet Attachet is premiered alongside Dominic Merkett's The Harmonic Canon Number no. 2 in Spitalfields Festival 2021. It's supported by the London Community Fund, Cocaine Grants for the Arts and the New Music Commission Fund. This extended conversation with Charles was recorded in May 2021. This is the uh, one of the 15 or so sheets do- documenting what we did at Dulwich College in 1994. They have an Imperial Grand Bersendorfer, which is a very large piano with extra keys in the in the bass end. And so we used that instrument to perform roles, but we did things that one doesn't do normally. So, for example, in a performance of uh, an Arabic music role, we took uh, segments where there were held tones and we stretched them out. We, we did, uh, uh, we pedaled when pedaling wasn't indicated. Um, 
And then in The Flight of the Bumblebee by Rimsky-Korsakov, we took the roll off the spindle and reversed it and played it backwards. So, <laughs> and uh, we tried that with Bach and Brahms. It was not interesting. But the Flight of the Bumblebee, <laughs> it, it's good in any direction. Travel the bass reversed, forward, backward, you name it. And it's recognizable, more, moreover. So that's one of the things that the audience will hear in this new piece I'm doing for Spitalfields. I like the fact that um, that you've you've actually finally found a way of saying that there's an element of bark that isn't interesting if you play it in reverse. It doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah, he's so smart now. What do you find yourself doing when you have completely lost track of time? Well, I'm usually late somewhere. Um, and I, I know that... Um, if uh, if there's an instance in which I've lost track of time, I'm probably not wearing my watch because as a radio person, I don't like to lose track of time. <laughs> um, but within a piece of music, losing track of time is, is a good thing actually. And I, I strive to get the audience to do that, to lose track of time by various methods. So in some of the percussion parts of this piece you'll hear, there are instances in which a cadence of drummers that was performed at the funeral of John F. Kennedy in 1963, a very morose cadence, is heard in seven or eight repetitions. But each time one of the roles of the snare drummers is increased by one beat. And so gradually over time, the, the piece uh, gets a little bit longer each iteration. And the idea is uh, that, um, that something that is so simple can actually be uh, held to be interesting if there's a slight additive process. Um, I think that's probably how Steve Reich and Phil Glass made their careers, you know. Uh, they repeated things over and over again, but there was a slight difference. And uh, as a composer of that generation, that's something I relate to and I enjoy uh, hearing in other people's work. And so I've inserted it into this one. What is that additive quality that is, what is it about that that is so appealing for, for composers like you? I studied that period in time um, at university and I remember at first feeling a little bit like I I don't I don't quite understand how this really fits in why are we doing this I don't I don't get it it's not Beethoven I don't understand uh, and then as I read more and more and I read about the thinking and I, I, I kind of thought no I get it I, I I understand it's quite appealing it's actually it's very exciting and I ended up being very excited by all of the different possibilities that's me as an audience member and as a student what is the appeal for you well, um, the uh, I remember Conlon Nancaro telling me um, in response to my comment that his music was so complex. No, it's quite simple. I put one melody down and then I move it up a fifth and have it come in over the current one. And then I keep adding up and I, I don't have to do that much work. I just add these things up. And I was thinking to myself, Yes, but you do it so well. And that's the object, to do it well and to do it so that it's uh, 
challenging for the audience in some way or intriguing for the audience. So and is so, there is there a joke in it somewhere? Do you think? Do you think you know a whole sort of group of composers, uh, <clears throat> if you like, a school, um, are all sort of going, yeah, we're not, we know what we'll do. We'll do this. We'll make it sound complicated, but actually, it's not very complicated, and we just want to really challenge the audience by doing something that is uh, sort of straightforward to produce. You've never dropped acid, have you? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. No. <laughs> <laughs> but because the entire movement of minimalism was grew out of the drug experience, and and also the fascination with Indian classical music and Eastern forms that were inherently anti-Beethoven. I was recently watching a brilliant film by Mauricio Coggle called Ludwig Vam, which is from 1970 when the bicentennial occurred and his deconstruction of the worship of German television commentators about Beethoven was absolutely hilarious. Now, I'm not saying that the minimalists wanted to insult people um, or to make fun of them. I think they just had a different uh, focus because uh, it, it, there's a tendency in Western art to want to do something different. And uh, by now, almost everything that I can imagine sonically has been done by people who go to extremes, uh, sometimes not very well, but they'll do something extremely loud or extremely um, boring. Uh, and the idea is to distinguish oneself as an artist. Um, but I think the trick is to do it in a way that makes uh, makes everybody sit up and listen and enjoy the the craft of what goes into making a, a repetitive piece interesting. Um, I tend to like to throw ringers in uh, to my music so that I build up expectations and then throw them off. So in in one of the movements of ratchet attach it there's a player piano roll of a beautiful piece by edward mcdowell called to a wild rose and it's on an 88 note roll a regular player piano roll but we're playing it at the setting of 57 notes to the roll because there were old rolls that had only 57 notes so everything gets transposed and what was formerly a, a very beautiful romantic piece comes out sour and disgusting, but in a nice way. <laughs> and it makes you think, how is this being done? Who made this role? How is this possible? And so as my piece goes along and it's in 11 movements, you're going to hear a, a bunch of different inventions, none of which are particularly related to the other. Um, there's one, uh, uh, movement called the United States Army Postal Unit at Blanford, Dorset, 1944. It's a snappy I title. It's a snappy title, Carl. Snappy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the 936th Army Postal Unit, but I left that out. Okay, that's fine. The, well, that's very uh, good. Nobody you, needs that would, to know. That would have been a lot in, in, <laughs> in some print, I'd suggest. But my father was stationed there near Stonehenge, and he uh, was the commanding officer of a unit that distributed mail to the troops in Europe. And I've always wanted to to uh, make a statement about that somehow because he has very fond feelings for uh, for England. Uh, he died at the age of 101, so he's past tense now. 
but um, but he always talked about how much he loved the loved the country and his experience there, and uh, so that's memorialized. But it's memorialized by a number of synthesized voices that sort of hoot uh, in in harmony, and that. Um, will be coming not from choristers in the cathedral, but from uh, sampled sounds in my keyboard uh, synthesizer. And then there's a piece in praise of the venerable piano roll. I love piano rolls, but I never, it never occurred to me how to honor them properly. And there's a movement that uh, Dominic suggested, why don't you make a movement of your piece that's entirely rolls on the snare drum? And as a former snare drummer and band member, I, I got to thinking the, how uninteresting that would be. And then I thought better of it. And I, <laughs> I made a piece called In Praise of the Venerable Piano Roll. And it is simply rolls on snare drums. <laughs> so I have a... a See, there, but there is a, there is a joke in there. I mean, that makes me laugh. There's it makes both of us laugh because, because there's an element of... Oh, we could do this. Well, why would we do this? No, but that's the reason to do it. You know, just to like go, you know, just to subvert things. So, so there is an element of subversion in, in the, that's the appeal of creating this medium for you. That's right. And uh, there's a um, there's a, a piece called Dominic Tricks, uh, which is <laughs> uh, written for Dominic to play, <laughs> but it's spelled like Dominatrix with with an I C instead of an A, and uh, it's a fiendish solo that he'll have to perform and uh the last movement is tyrannus rex which is <laughs> all the roles that rex could play at once uh if he were multiple people and cloned but he'll be um heard by recording and the recordings are are digital recordings made uh, with fantastic microphone technique by mr whiting and you will you will hear alternating movements of sound from a player piano that's been altered by me with percussion uh, movements and sometimes the percussion is together now here uh, where do i have it here is a ratchet this can be played in many different ways um slowly are you okay yes <laughs> <laughs> and then you can you can mute it by holding your hand over the the wood or you can Go for it like that. And and then over the player piano rolls, we'll have some bell sounds. These are, I bought these in a hardware store in Switzerland. And Dominic doesn't have any of these, but he's got something just as good. So we're using his bells. But in order to add some intrigue and interest while we're playing tapes of player piano rolls, we've got percussionists running around with bells with uh, uh, all sorts of other sound making devices. And this will hopefully restore some of the live performance element that was lost when we lost uh, Rex. When, when you talk about the piece, the thing that I'm reminded of when you're talking about it is this sort of uh, the love of resourcefulness in composers such as yourself, as in you know, the, the, fact that, the fact that you go to a hardware store to buy a bell. Uh, you know, or or it's something that you discovered in a hardware store. There's something rather appealing about that, which is at the complete opposite end of what we need for this is a symphony orchestra on stage. Is is <laughs> is that sort of resourcefulness? Is that is that also in, important to you as a sort of a creative driver? 
Yeah, I, I, I like to do things that are a little bit odd. And um, that's why I founded an organization called Other Minds, which is devoted to eccentric composers like Nancaro, George Antile, uh, Ivan Vishnagrodsky, the quarter tone composer. We've done concerts of music by people from all over the world in San Francisco here. And we have an archive online of a lot of the sounds that we've uh, documented and a lot of the radio interviews that I've done with these people. And it turns out that in many cases, nobody else ever bothered to interview anybody who was doing all of this outsider work. So um, otherminds.org is the place to find things like this, but um, we're going to be doing it live on July 7th in London. So uh, unfortunately I can't be there, which, which kills me because, you know, with the, the long quarantine process, uh, it's just too much. Uh, earlier on, you were talking about the fact that you love piano rolls. What do you What do you love about them? What is their appeal? Well, firstly, I um, I I grew up uh, going to a friend's house who had a player piano and sitting at the keyboard. I was a pianist for ten years as a young boy, from age five to fifteen or so, and studied the instrument uh, and classical music. And I'd loved being able to sit down at a player piano and have Rachmaninoff play for me while I'm pedaling, you know. Then I uh, became uh, fascinated as a percussionist with the ballet mechanique of George Antile. And Antile's music and his use of the player piano was revolutionary. He was uh, in Paris in the 20s when Playella was developing uh, the idea of making, of documenting composers' music by having them record for the pianola so everybody in their homes could play Stravinsky's Etude for Pianola in their own home. And George took it a step further by writing music that could not be played by humans and it wasn't simply a documentation, but it was using as many notes on the piano as he could. And so the ballet mechanique for airplane propellers, doorbells, uh, sirens, gongs, uh, keyboard percussion and uh, standard percussion drums and, and so forth, became a, a kind of um, beacon for me as a, comp as a young composer because I, I loved the way uh, you could have this very driving mechanistic sound, never a mistake. The player piano is always spot on and then the percussionists have to keep up and there are wicked keyboard parts in the ballet mechanique. So I thought, well, this is, a, this is interesting. And then I was uh, fortunate to meet Conlon Nancaro, who had um, taken the idea of the player piano role from his reading of a book by Henry Cowell, New Musical Resources, and said uh, to himself, well, I could punch holes in virgin pianola rolls and make the piano do anything I like. And so that became a, uh, a point of interest for me and I, uh, I drove to Mexico City in 1969 with my new wife, Carol Law, the artist. And Carol and I met Conlon at his home in Mexico City. And he had uh, taken his pianos and ratcheted up the pressure on them so that when he put in one of his rolls, the sound virtually exploded into the room, which I didn't know from listening to a record of his. I only realized the power of his music when I was in his studio. So um, that's my connection to the player piano. And through that, I met, met uh, Rex Lawson, who I consider to be the one and only virtuoso of the pianola as far as performing 
classical roles with orchestra. He plays the Grieg Piano Concerto as done by Percy Granger with a conductor, and he can time his performance uh, so that he can start and stop on a dime following a conductor's nuance of uh, rubato. That's pretty special. Nobody else has done it as well. And uh, so this piece is dedicated to Rex Lawson, whom I miss dearly for this performance. I wish he could be there. Can you just give me a primer of the difference between a player piano and a pianola? A player piano has a role inserted into the section of the instrument that is a uh, that has a music uh, rack. So you lift up the music rack, you put the roll in, and it plays when you pedal the piano directly onto the harp of that instrument. A pianola is a push-up. It looks like a 1930s console radio. The roll goes into the pianola, you push it up to the piano keys, and then fingers come out <laughs> and activate all of the keys. It's uh, It enables you to play player piano music on a really, really fine piano instead of playing it on an upright, which most player pianos are. So pianola is a separate thing from a piano and a player piano. You push the pianola up to the instrument, keys are activated, the pianola is pedaled, uh, and it can be pedaled, a role can be played on any piano that you choose. Um, when I hear you talk about both uh, I and 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 when I hear you talking about roles, I think of computer code. This sounds as though this is uh, sort of trying to capture uh, capture the marvelousness of somebody else's work, and then through wizardry and magic. And I'm sort of casting my back, uh, casting my way back to the to the early twentieth century. But through wizardry and magic, this thing is recreated in front of us. Um, that makes me think of think of your interests, your passions as a sort of being about challenge. Where is the line for you in in the work that you do? Um, because because I hear challenge, and because I hear sort of that the appeal of um, you know what would happen if we did this. That that I hear that as sort of rising to a logistical challenge. Uh, and I'm wondering where the line is for you between that and personal expression. I think personal expression can take the form of um, a kind of uh, geometric manipulation of materials. It doesn't have to be emotional, uh, obviously emotional or obviously romantic. And so I, I think all of this is a personal expression of um, a sort that might not be conventional. Is that expression a consequence of the creative process, though? You know, are you are you starting from? I uh, hope so. Uh, but are you starting from an expressive <laughs> starting point? You know, do you have a starting point where you think uh, oh. the, the impetus for this is I want to reflect on this or I want to pay homage to this? There are portions of this music that are very very emotional, in that um, either. It's something that I've composed uh, that is uh, not mechanistic and brutal, uh, as other parts of the piece are, but it relies on conventional harmony and, and rhythm. And there are portions, as in the last movement, where I take a performance of Rachmaninoff's Tarantella from the suite number two for two pianos, uh, a really beautifully 
done role by Rachmaninoff was made in which he plays both parts of the two piano music. Uh, and you hear them all just exploding out of the instrument. And Rex tried something for me at my request, which was to play it at triple speed as fast as possible. And lo and behold, the emotional effect of hearing this piece at that speed is just overpowering. And I use it to anchor the last movement in which all the percussionists are playing, uh, all, all of the um, player piano rolls that have been heard previously are brought back into the movement. And all of the uh, effect is one of a headlong rush toward a climax. Um, so by using the Rachmaninoff role, you have this very intimate and, uh, and traditional musical experience onto which is sandwiched a lot of chaos and, and uh, interruption. So I find that tension very um, challenging and interesting and exciting. What brings you joy? I'd have to answer that the music of certain composers brings me joy over and over again. Uh, one of them is Lou Harrison, who is an American composer who bound together the strains of Balinese gamelan music with Western classical music. Another would be um, music of Percy Granger, who's just a favorite of mine, and I'm not ashamed to say it. <laughs> He's just one of the brilliant uh, minds of the century. And his treatment of uh, uh, English and Scandinavian folk tunes in Western uh, harmonizations and orchestrations are, are just uh, marvelous. And so there are a lot of very traditional kinds of contemporary music that I find the most joy in. And it might be um, surprising to some people who know the work I compose because it's quite different. But um, that's a, a brief answer to your question. Would you like to see Percy Granger's hands? I have them over here. Do you? I do. <laughs> I mean, it would be really rude if I said no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll bring them here. You okay, okay. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, John? <laughs> Not a joke. Well, when Percy Granger mar married Ella Viola Strom in the Hollywood Bowl, they had a plaster cast made of their hands, and I bought it. <laughs> um, I don't know if you can see the signature, but oh, wow. it's signed by Percy and by Ella. And uh, what, that's amazing. What, what, I mean, what, that truly is amazing. <laughs> what interested me about this was that um, that they um, that Percy's hands were not all that big. I thought they were enormous uh, because of the way yeah. he writes. Yeah, but but. Look here, that's his, his hand is underneath, and that's Ella's on top. So, I don't know. Would you say that the, my hand is sort of normal size, I think, but maybe his is a little larger. It's not and it's much. Also, but... It's also actually quite an odd, you know, how is he holding her hand? That's a... He's holding it like this. Uh, yes, so, which is sort of a... Oh, no, like this. 
Anyway. So it's actually when they, yes, okay, fine, fine. Now I get it. I get it now. That how exciting! I had no idea they got married in the Hollywood Bowl. That's that's. that's oh amazing. yes, well you were you were very young. You're a flatterer. <laughs> You've been listening to the Spitalfields Festival podcast presented by John Jacob, a thoroughly good podcast made for Spitalfields music. The Spitalfields Festival runs from the first to the eleventh of July, twenty twenty one. Tickets via spitalfieldsmusic.org.uk. Follow at Spitz Music on Twitter. Follow Spitalfields Music on Instagram.